0: What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. Give us some men who know the truth. Know the truth. The Reformation was founded upon sola scriptura. The reformers didn't call themselves reformers. They just wanted to be biblical. And you can sit in Starbucks all day long with your skinny jeans on and talk about reformers or you can pick up a Bible and start getting biblical. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Thank you, my brother. It is good to be with you men this weekend. And uh, thank you for your hospitality and particularly for... The Sweet couple that I had the opportunity to stay with uh, last night, and he woke up and the house was still standing, the lights are still on, so uh, it's a blessing of God's providence. I want to remind you of two things, and I said this last night these messages, uh, by and large, are not like Lord's Day messages, typical Lord's Day messages, where you know you open the Word of God, you take a passage, and You just seek to mine it for all that it's worth. Rather, these are survey kinds of messages. Um, What we're doing here is we are looking at the whole of Scripture and asking certain questions. And that takes me to the second thing. The questions we're asking, we've sort of organized in terms of age groups, whatever those ages are. And here's the beauty of it. Um, You get to choose what age group you think you're in And we won't put you in that age group Uh, You get to choose whichever one you're in Uh, Some of you may choose uh, less accurately than others But that's fine Um, But as we do that, that means that there are any number of things that we could address Today, as we look at the so-called middle-aged group of men What I'm going to say to those brothers Really relates to the brothers that I just spoke to last night Uh, You could be a young man and much, if not all of what I'm going to say here would apply to you. And similarly, you could be uh, a seasoned saint in the very last few years of life and what I'm going to say applies to you. So there's some overlap. But what I want to endeavor to do is remind us of some specific things that may be particularly helpful to uh, some of the middle aged brothers I am not going to mine this text completely, nor are we going to stay here, but I want to take us to an opening text and read a few verses and then walk us down a road together. Genesis chapter 3. The book of Genesis is really a necessary starting point to understand the whole of Scripture. You know what has happened thus far in the Scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No explanation for God, simply that he is and that he is created. And then in chapter one, you see the unfolding of the days. You see the creation of Adam and Eve, his image bearers. You see God giving them his word. And then this precious Edenic, the Eden-like home in which they live. And then in chapter three, we read these words. I won't read the whole chapter, but in chapter three, We read this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her Mm -hmm. and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is the human story. This is where it begins, brothers. This is where despicable wickedness found in our hearts begins. This is where wars and rumors of wars begin. This is where uh, stealing and theft and adultery begins. It's all right here. But I want you to hear one particular phrase. And while I don't want to make too much of this phrase, it is often overlooked. And that is Genesis 3, verse 6. She also gave to her husband who was with her. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is that we understand the scripture to unfold, that it was Eve who ate first, that she was deceived. The scripture in the New Testament makes that clear. There is a lot of... Returning to Genesis, when you get to the New Testament writers as it relates to who we are as man and woman and even our roles within home and in the church. But I want you to notice that one of the things that is listed here is a minor detail, which I think has massive, massive implications for us. The first Adam was to crush the head of the serpent. Right. The first Adam was to guard his family. The first Adam was to speak in the face of accusing false accusations by the serpent, was to speak the word of God. But what does Adam do? Adam, prior to even eating of the tree itself, Adam forsakes his God-given duty. He doesn't guard. He doesn't guide. His focus on his wife and his own growth is lacking, And he's certainly not giving of himself in that moment what he ought to give. And thus, he and his wife and all of us are plunged into sin and in desperate need of a redeemer. Now, it's a topic for another day, but I have to just cause you to look to Christ for one moment. Who is it that crushes the head of the serpent? It's Christ. Who is it that when the voice of Satan comes uses the word and casts out that accusation of false teaching from Satan. The second Adam. It's the second Adam, right? Who is it that guards and guides and grows his people? It's the second Adam. So praise be the Lord God that you and I don't have our identity in the first Adam, but in the second Adam. And I really want to take us to Romans or second Corinthians right now and just preach Christ to us. But I've been given a task. And I think it's a good task. I want to use some of the words that I just used in discussing the first Adam and encourage us as men to consider that. Because even though we are not, and this is sometimes a little controversial, I don't think it will be controversial here. If it is, feel free to let me know uh, or let me go in my merry little way and you talk to Van and Marvin about it. But we are not fully given the first Adam's commission in the same way Christ has conquered and he has taken dominion so I think it it would be a little bit off for us to say that each one of us each new man is a new Adam that must completely bring in dominion okay I think it would be better to say that Christ has crushed the head of the serpent Christ has fulfilled the covenant of works Christ has dominion and now that we are united To him by faith, we flesh that out. So in our role as men, as husbands, as fathers, I like to think of it not so much as taking dominion as if Satan hadn't been conquered, but living in the dominion that Christ has wrought for us. So what does it look like then for a middle-aged, any man, but a middle-aged man, whatever that is, whoever that is. I think last night the magic number, because I was stumbling through math words, was 38. Maybe you're 37 and you think you're in middle age. I I don't know. Uh, All I know is that the ibuprofen is occurring a lot more in my house these days. But we as men, what does it look like as we consider our own journey in uh, walking with Christ? Well, I want to give you six words. And they all begin with the same letter. And it's not because I'm a Baptist preacher that I do that. It. It's because you're middle-aged and you're starting to lose your memory. And so, you know, like me, you need these devices to help us. But six words that all begin with the letter G. We talked about two of them, but I want to remind you of them as a backdrop and then give you four headings to think about. The two backdrop words are garden and gospel. We talked about the garden. I don't need to linger there much more. But we are, every generation of us, is tempted to follow in the steps of Adam. Even as believers, we forsake our duty to crush, as it were, the voice of Satan in our own homes. Now, we don't crush Satan salvifically. Christ alone does that. But you know what I mean. How easy is it for us to kind of shirk our duty? particularly in a world that says that if a man is living in the ways that the scripture calls men to live, that that is so-called toxic masculinity, Well, it's not toxic, but the world calls it toxic because they're parroting the voice of their father, Satan. Well, the garden is important for us to understand. That's where it all went wrong. We live in that every day, but then I want us to remember the gospel. Lest we think that Being a Christian man is something we're doing in our own strength. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have his sprinkled blood covering our sins. We have his spirit within us because of the gospel. Now, let me just take 30 seconds. Okay, let me be realistic. Let me take 60 seconds. The gospel is what Christ has done. It is not what we do. We respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. But the gospel is not me praying a prayer. The gospel is not me walking an aisle. It's not me going to church. It's not me trying to clean myself up. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is what Christ has done. He was crucified for sins, your sins and my sins. Prior to going to the cross, he lived a perfect life, living as the first Adam was called to live and failed. He perfectly obeyed God's law. He bore the sins of all the people who would ever trust in Him. Old Testament, New Testament, and future saints alike. He bore every last one of them. As one of the modern hymn writers has said, He bore uh, every evil deed, every evil thought. He carried it to the cross. And He took the penalty for us. What was the penalty in the garden? In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Christ died. He was raised. And all who rest in him by faith alone are justified. Think about this this morning. You got up and maybe you were wondering whether the lights in your home were going to be uh, on or flickering or off. Or the fire alarm was going to be going off. You had all kinds of cares in your mind. But one of the truest things about you this morning was that you woke up as a justified sinner because of Christ. The second Adam who didn't fail. To guard and to guide, to give, and to encourage the growth of his people. So the guard and the gospel are really the backdrop of what I want to encourage you to think about. And now our survey. Again, we're going to go to a variety of passages. Uh, I will try to speak slowly enough that as I'm filling out Bible verses, you can jot those down. And of course, you're welcome to see me after any time in fellowship, and I'll be glad to give you a reference if you don't get it. The Garden of the Gospel provide a backdrop for the next four Gs. What does it look like to be a man who is a leader? If last night we were looking at young men making decisions, I want to focus on middle-aged men, particularly Christian middle-aged men, who are, by virtue of their age, in a position where they are often the leaders. They're moving into leading their homes, and sometimes now they're beginning to see what? Their children have their own homes. Uh, Statistically, they tend to be the men who are, for a short season until they die and are forgotten, they tend to be the leaders in Christ's church. Mm -hmm. It's not as though a young man can't be a leader, or that an old man can't be a leader, as we'll see in our next lecture. But what does it look like for a man to lead? A couple of things. Firstly, I want to encourage you to consider the word guarding. It's exactly what Adam didn't do, isn't it? We are called to guard a variety of things. Now think about the things that the scripture encourages us to guard. Let me give you a list and then I'll walk you through it. The scripture calls us to guard our hearts. The scripture calls us to guard our walk. Scriptures call us to guard our eyes. Scripture calls us to guard our time. The scripture calls us to guard our wives. So let's look at these things. With the garden and the gospel as a backdrop, let us consider being men who guard. Uh, Guarding your heart. Turn over to Proverbs 4, verse 23. And you can look at each of these or you can just listen as they are read. But just a survey for just a moment of things that we're to guard. Firstly, guarding our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence. You could translate that. Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it spring the issues of life. Out of it springs the issues of life. We're to guard our hearts. Or how about Proverbs 7.25? There the word says this. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. That is the way of the enticing woman pictured in this section of Proverbs. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. We are to guard our hearts, brothers. We're to be men who consider what it's like to guard our own hearts. I wish I had time this morning for us just to consider together all of what it means to guard our hearts. But one of the things that we have to do to guard our hearts is we have to guard what we allow into our hearts. And we often also by the Holy Spirit, as we saw last night, we have to pray like David. Lord, examine my heart. What's already there? We often think we need to protect our hearts from the outside world. But brothers, isn't it the case that really... Our hearts are already sinful. They're idle factories, as John Calvin would say. So we need to have our hearts regularly tested, but we also do need to guard our hearts from things in the world around us. How about Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10? A stunning indictment. Here's your resume. You ready? I don't know if you're on LinkedIn or any number of other kinds of resume, building, advertising. Advertising. Structures. Well, here's your resume. It's in Jeremiah 17:9 and 10. The heart, there you go, is deceitful yeah. above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. If you were to take a survey through the rest of Scripture, you would see that the heart is everywhere. It is everywhere. John Owen would say that really the heart is the picture of the other faculties, the will, the the mind, even the affections in some sense. We're to guard our hearts. Brothers, don't underestimate the importance of guarding your own heart. Amen. Particularly now if you're a middle-aged man who's lived long enough to, as we might say, get set in your own ways as it relates to your heart. Yeah. Right? We're to guard our hearts not just when we're 18 with a lot of energy. We're to guard our hearts when we're 48. We've lived life. It would be tempting to think, I've, I've kind of got this life thing down now. You know, I've almost lived a half a century. I'm a middle-aged man. Okay, I, I've kind of got this. And really his tricks are not any different than they were in Genesis chapter 3. But then comes in the serpent. And he doesn't say to you what he said to Eve. Did God really say? He might say something to you like this. You've got this now. Yeah. You're middle aged. Many men don't even live as long as you've made it. Suddenly you give up guarding your own heart. Well, 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that we ought to guard our walk. Let me take you there. You can turn there if you like. But 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the word of God says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil rocks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're told in the scriptures in multiple places here in 1 Peter 5, 8. To, to be vigilant, to, to guard our steps, our walk. And this is written to believers yeah. who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Guard your walk. Or who can forget Job 31 verse 1 where we are told to guard our eyes. We're told to guard our eyes. This is for all of us as men. But let me just say to you that we are in increasing Times needing to guard our eyes. You can't walk anywhere without needing to turn your eyes from wicked things. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. And again, Job 31.1, the idea of guarding our eyes. Brothers, think about this. If you're middle-aged, you are living In between two generations. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when phones all had cords. (laughs) And when you stuck your finger in this thing and you turned it. And when texting first came out, it was too difficult to do because you had to hit the same number enough times to get why bother? Just pick up the phone and call someone. And now, just about every one of us in this room, I'm sure, walks around with more technology in our pockets than was available to the scientists who put the first man on the moon. It's in our pocket, and we can stare at it. And yes, this is that point in the message where you're expecting me to talk about pornography only, and that is certainly something we need to guard our eyes from. But I'm just talking about worthless things. How much do we spend our time... Looking at things that, you know, they may not in and of themselves be evil, but they are a waste of our time and they draw our affections yeah. away. Yeah. How many of us spend our time checking out what any number of, and I'm going to just take a gamble here and say conservative news outlets say. You're one of the liberals in the room. Uh, you know, OK, we love you. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean and, and, and something happens And we've got to go to You pick it Newsmax Foxnews.com Whatever it is And we've got to get the commentary And suddenly our lives Begin to be driven by Something that's not in and of itself Evil But we're we're constantly putting our eyes Through this box This lighted box That draws our attention away often From things that really matter And I don't don't get me wrong I think that there's some wonderful benefits to be had in technology it's not an anti-technology message but we walk around with something that we stare at Have you ever watched people between the ages of I don't know older teenager up through say 50 yeah when they're waiting at a bus stop yeah walking down the street Uh what are they looking at the box the box is not always a worthless thing, but sometimes it draws our attention away from the deeper heart level issues. What, 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 it, what would it be like if we were to just take time and say, I'm going to meditate on a truth of God's word versus figuring out how many likes I got on my last Facebook page. <laughs> You may think, well, that's not really a middle-aged man thing. It's more of a young man thing until you realize that one of the predominant age groups that use Facebook now is not just the 18-year-olds. It's the 40-something And 50-something year olds Mm -hmm. these things brothers are not in and of themselves sinful but we do need to guard our heart we do need to guard our walk we do need to guard our eyes I will say before we move on from guarding our eyes uh, I spent quite a few years in counseling work and the number of men that I talked to who were in deep deep trouble quite frankly Mm -hmm. in their marriage sometimes in legal trouble but in their marriage marriage is falling apart adultery has been committed all these kinds of things. It all started because there was a lack of guarding the eyes. The seemingly innocent glance at a soft pornographic TV series turned into more hardcore pornography, which then turned into acting it out to the point that now the marriage is broken, the kids want nothing to do with the father, and there was this opportunity to guard the eyes. We want to guard our eyes. Guard our walk, guard our heart. But yes, brothers, let's move on. Guarding our time. Guarding our time. For this, I want to, by implication, encourage you to consider a few things. Turn to Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there's more to redeeming the time than just guarding our time, doing well with scheduling, getting the app on your phone aligned with your wife's so you know when you have dinner with the so-and-sos and when the little baseball matches are and all of that. That's all wonderful, practical things. But the larger perspective of Ephesians is for us to consider the time and to redeem it. Or how about Colossians 4? Five, Colossians 4, 5. There we read these words. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And just one other passage. Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. There we read these words. The word of the Lord says this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I don't know about you, brothers. But those of us that are in this middle-aged group, do you remember when for the first time you started to have those thoughts that aligned a little bit with Psalm 9012? Oh, yeah. When you were younger, people told you time's gonna fly, and you sort of kind of shirked it off and moved on. It felt like you could live forever. But then there was that moment. For some of you, it might have been late 30s, for some of you it was early 40s. Where it wasn't because you necessarily were reading Psalm ninety twelve, but you began to maybe it was a sudden death of someone or friends started to die more quickly. And you had that moment where you began to realize the time is short. We ought to be guarding our time and considering what the will of God is for our time, but how to use it well and not waste it. One other guarding that we need to do and we'll move on to the next g and that is guarding our wife now i'm assuming that most statistically of the married men in this room or, or the middle-aged men in this room are married but first peter three a passage that probably would not be popular in the broader secular world but listen to what it says Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. By the way, that might be the testimony of some of you. You were the man who was horribly lost and you had a patient, believing wife who prayed for you. And now you look back and you think one of the outward means that the Lord used to draw me to Christ was her patient perseverance with this, and you fell in the blank, this drunkard of a man, this anger, angry of a man as me. Well, that's not where Peter stops, is it? Verse 3, do not let the adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, the very preci- which is very precious in the sight of God. continues to give some discussion here of this inner adorning of women. But then in verse 7, Peter says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that is, your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That's the part that's not going to be popular. We read weaker vessel and we think to ourselves, at least outside the Bible-believing community, we think to ourselves, well, that must be ontological. That must have to do with being. Men are better than women. That's what you Christians think. But I would submit to you that Peter's call for us to honor the wife as to the weaker vessel might be akin to my family decorating. Maybe you do. Some of you do. Some of you don't. Uh, for Christmas season, you know, we we have some ornaments that we've collected through the years. But I'll bring a Christmas decoration into the house. You know, maybe it's garland. Maybe it's ribbons. In a big tub. And I'm just throwing that thing around. I'm not delicate with it at all. It can handle it. Right? Get it all set up. And then we do what? We open the box with the Christmas ornaments. Some of them are the ones that the children have made. And we're very delicate with those, aren't we? They? Because they're a prized piece of what's happening. They're a weaker vessel. Right? Yeah. It's not, as, it's not as though they're less. It's actually there's an honor there that requires us to guard them in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Right? Brothers, we are called to guard our wife. So here's a couple of questions as it relates to guarding. What has God given you to guard? Certainly a heart, an eyes, and a walk with him, and time. Perhaps he's also given you a wife, children, maybe the beginnings of grandchildren. How are you practically considering this? Here's another one. As the guard for your family, do you take the hits for your family or does your wife? Here's what I mean. Who's on the front line? You know, one of the things that happens to us because of who we are is we develop an Adam-like complex. We tend sometimes to say figuratively or literally, it's the woman that you gave me. The husband and wife will make a decision. The decision is made. The, the husband has sought the counsel of his wife. then he shirks his responsibility and when something goes awry, she's put out there as the one that needs to take the hit. Brothers, you and I as men need to take the hits for our family. I often tell young couples when we're doing premarital counseling, Christy, that's my wife, we make decisions together. I consult her. I don't think that being the head of your family means I make the decisions you get behind me. Okay. We make decisions, I seek her out. What do you think about this? What do you think is best for this child or that child? Should this financial investment be made? We make it, and then at the end of the day, I will say, okay, that's what we'll do. And once we say that, I'm gonna be out there on the front by God's grace. And if it goes wrong. I'm going to be the one that takes the hit. Excellent. I'm not going to put her out there as the weaker vessel. Right. Do we take the hits for our family, for our wife? Here's another one as it relates to guarding your time. What do you take on that is unnecessary? There are only a certain number of hours in the day. There's only so many things you can do. By the time we're middle-aged brothers, hopefully we've grown at least a little bit in understanding how to guard our time. One of the deepest regrets that many middle-aged moving to older men may have is I wasted too much time on these things Mm -hmm. when I had a wife and children or a church that really could have used my time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot for us to guard and we don't have a perfect example in the first Adam, do we? But by the grace of the second Adam in the gospel, we're clothed in his righteousness and we are free. See, some of what I'm saying to you right now might cause you to say, oh, yeah, that makes me feel guilty. Well, Sometimes the feeling of guilt is not bad, even though the world says it is, because if in gospel hands we receive it, it drives us to Christ. Some of you might hear that. You may say, I do need to guard my eyes better. I've been slipping up and nobody else in this room knows it. But I've started with my phone or with this or with that. I need to guard my time better. That's wonderful if you have that kind of a revelation right now. But don't let that be a source that causes you to turn inward and say, I need to do better. Look to Christ, rest on him, and realize that in him you you have been freed by his spirit to think about guarding in a better way. Well, here's the second word, growing. This one will be a little bit shorter. Deuteronomy 6 says that we are to be growing in the word. Colossians two six through seven says that we are to be growing in the faith. Proverbs nineteen twenty says, as we saw last night, we are to be growing by receiving counsel. You know, last night we said that the younger men, as they think about making wise decisions, need to be willing to receive counsel. You know, sometimes it's even harder for men who've lived a couple of decades. To receive counsel. Because we get a little set in our ways. But we We know how it's done. Mm -hmm. Particularly if the person giving us counsel is younger than we are. Right? But the principle of wisdom found in Proverbs 19.20. Or Proverbs 15.32. That there's wisdom in the counsel of others. Doesn't stop when we reach middle age. We need to be guarding. But we need to be growing. But we need to be helping those For whom we are responsible to be growing as well. Do you know that when Adam shirked his responsibility, didn't crush the head of the serpent, led his family by abdicating his responsibility to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and thus to plunge all of us in him into sin against God? Do you know that he also broke the moral law of God written on his heart? And in that moment, do you know that he broke the sixth commandment? I don't often think like this, but how did Adam break the sixth commandment? Well, in that moment, he had, for reasons only known to sin, he had really a murderous approach to his wife. Mm-hmm. The best thing for you right now would be for me to. Stamp out the words of Satan in your ears. But I'm not going to do it. And that will result in really the murder of your soul. So we need to think about how God has called us to be used, not only in ourselves, growing in the word and in faith, receiving counsel, all these things, but helping our wives, our children grow. Right? Well, here's the third G. I promised six Gs. I've given you one, two, three, four. So now we're on number five. We've got gardening gospel. We've got guarding and growing. Now we've got guiding. This relates to what I was just saying. Guiding. You're in Ephesians, it sounds like. roundabout about chapter five. Well, if you're walking through Ephesians, if my math is correct, six comes after five. Yeah. <laughs> Which means... After you realize the need to, as I often am, be corrected as a husband in Ephesians 5, you'll see your need to be corrected as a father in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we read these words, "...and you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition." of the Lord. Various English translations render that differently, the nurture and discipline or admonition of the Lord. We need to be guiding our home. You know, one of the frustrating things if you watch much TV, um, I don't watch a ton of it, but I watch some of it, is that there was this phenomenon that happened, I guess it began in about the 80s, but certainly took off in the 90s, where all of the sitcoms would still have typically a married man and woman. Of course, now if you look at sitcoms in 2023, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. But do you remember the, the the phenomenon that started to happen? Uh-huh. The comedies would picture what? The woman is the intelligent one who had to get everything done. And Dad was sort of this... You know, he he, he might... He might pull eight hours at the factory or whatever it was, but he was kind of a bumbling idiot who would just come home and drink beer and watch TV. And sitcoms were made off of that. And we in the church started to say, that's a problem. Look at how the world looks at men. This is a problem. And it was. But hasn't there been a little bit of truth in that in the world Mm -hmm. that we are called to guide our homes and our families and that because of the fall, one of the symptoms or, or one of the realities of the fall is that men sort of retreat from their responsibilities. Yeah. Listen, brothers, like you, I mean, we, we work hard. We, we are tired. We come mm-hmm. home, or the, the children need our attention. And there are days where you just think, I, I just want to sit down in front of the TV and veg <laughs> out. I understand that pull. But we're called, in addition to guarding and growing, to be men who guide. And our children, if we're middle-aged, statistically, your children are now not just infants. If you're a middle-ager and you have an infant in your home, we're going to pray deeply (laughs) for you. Okay. (laughs) But most of us will have children who are older children or teenagers or are now just beginning the adult years. They need a lot of guidance from us the problem with giving a lot of guidance is that it takes a lot of time right? but in addition to guiding our homes we have a part to play in guiding the church now I don't mean that every man is going to be an office bearer that's not what the scripture says but turn to Galatians 6 Galatians six. we were there last night in verse 2 is it related to bearing burdens and thinking about the church but let's look at verse 1 Guiding the church. Now, of course, I believe that God has gifts for his church, his officers, particularly elders and pastors who are leading the church. Look at Galatians 6. There's a sense in which we all have a responsibility for the welfare of our church. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Contextually, I don't think that this is only for elders. Now, of course, the elders take the lead. But it's almost as if the average Christian, not even just men, but the average Christian is pictured in partaking in this work. If any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. There's a sense in which, in addition to having a hand in guiding our home, we have a hand in helping to guide the church. And again, I don't mean that every man is an elder. And I don't mean that we shouldn't submit to the elders. What I mean is that we have a small part to play in the areas of influence that the Lord has given us in our own uh, sphere within the church. Guarding growing guiding. Brothers, let me just ask, is it a regular priority for you to guide your home in the ways of God? (laughs) That's a challenging question, isn't it? Yet if we're honest, it's a challenge for all of us, and we need the grace of God to do it. But the last word is the word giving the word giving and I mean more than just putting a check in the offering plate although that is a part of what we're called to do isn't it but giving a couple of passages if you survey the scriptures it seems to be that we are called to give by sacrifice Uh, you perhaps will be talking about this in a few weeks based on what I've heard them say but in Ephesians five. One of the most startling passages of Scripture is given. I don't know if if you've ever considered this. But in Ephesians 5, I read these words. And they are quite startling. They're weighty words. Husbands, love your wives. And then here it is. Mm -hmm. Just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The text continues. Christ gives himself for his bride. That is a model that we are to follow in our own marriage, giving of ourselves sacrificially in the little things, but in the big things. Brothers, I, I can I can almost promise you, there will not be a day in the new heaven and the new earth that you will regret making a godly sacrifice for the bride that you walked with here in this life amen you will not regret it but are we giving sacrificially for our wife first corinthians 16 yes we're called to give financially um van and marvin didn't ask me to come and give a tithing sermon (laughs) But as we're talking about that, if you just survey in the New Testament where we're called to give sacrificially, to give of ourselves, it is to give ourselves for our wife, but also to give unto the church, the work of the church. 1 Corinthians 16, the first day of the week on the Lord's Day. Set aside some of the fruits of your labors. Yeah. That may be $5 that you're regularly giving to the church. Might be $5,000. dollars the amount is not what we're speaking of. It's the principle of, of giving of yourself, of your resources. In that passage where Paul addresses Ephesians 4, the former thief, let the thief steal no more, but let him use resources and earn them and work for them that he may give. Imagine that. Because of the grace of Christ, former thieves are now working so that they may be able to give to others. 2 Thessalonians 3 2 Thessalonians 3 we see this principle don't we of giving by working giving by working I wish we had time to just dive into the full context of 2 Thessalonians but this idea of needing to work needing to live an orderly life or 1 Timothy 5 8 you know one of the challenges that statistically middle aged men will face some of you are there is that you are nearing the end although the job never stops mm. of caring for your children as they are being launched into the world but you're beginning the journey of caring for parents who in some ways yeah. have become like children again Yeah. I don't mean that disrespectfully I just yeah. mean the needs are there yeah. right? I made a visit yesterday One of our sweet saints, middle-aged. She's there, and her father is dying in one room. And her mother, with very severe dementia, is eating a sandwich in the other and needing help. here she is. She's raised her family. They're all out of the nest. She's enjoying the first few years of grandparenthood. And she's willing, but is required to do what? To care for her family. 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's one of the the unfolding, scaffolding effects of sin. Think about the middle-aged man who's prone to drunkenness. He's sinning against the Lord God because he's living as a drunkard. But one of the reciprocal things that happens in his life is that more and more of the money yeah. is going to the bottle mm-hmm. and not to the household. Right? So children are unclothed. Children are perhaps not getting the medical care or even the food that they need. The wife is not given what she needs. Why? Because the sin of drunkenness is absorbing his labors. Right? And he is a man who is not caring for his own household. So we're giving to our households as well. So let's just review, and we're finished. <clears throat> the Garden is that very challenging passage three chapters in to a wonderful book called the Bible. You read chapter one if it's the first time, and you think, this is glorious. You read chapter two, you have the eyes of faith, and you think, mm, this is wonderful. Then you get to chapter three if you've never read it for the first time, and you think, all is lost. <clears throat> the garden sets the pace for much of what we're talking about. But then there's the glorious gospel in Genesis chapter 3 as well, isn't there? This is really tempting. I, I need to draw this to a close. But have you ever thought about the fact that the first creature to be addressed is Satan? Yeah. Yeah. Satan gets the news the gospel. Not as an offer for him, that is the promise of curse for him. Right? The gospel is there. The garden and the gospel become our framework. We are dust. We are sinful, fallible men. We are like our father Adam. But we are in Christ. And so we can consider what it looks like to guard a variety of things. To grow. To guide. And to give. Brothers, may this be what we increasingly look towards by the Spirit's grace mm-hmm. as a middle-aged man. What's us pray. Living God, we pray that you would help us. Help the young men, help the middle-aged men, help the seasoned men among us. All of these things really in one way or another apply to all of us. But as we specifically consider unique periods of time, I pray your blessing upon my brothers. I pray for any who, upon hearing anything last night or today, are questioning whether they're doing the right things they may even feel some level of guilt about something i pray that you would give them a dose of gospel grace and boldness to to fly to christ in that to rest on him to remember that he has not finished the work that he began within them lord i pray for each of us that we may look to you and seek to be faithful men not for the accolades. Of the world, but for the glory of the King, who was the one who indeed crushed the head of the serpent. In Jesus' name.